It's the Verge Bonero Show. He's a father, public servant, pundit, puts patriotism before politics, and he's known as the angry mayor, so you know he's always ticked off. Here's Verge Bonero. Well, thank you, Andy. You're and very welcome. welcome. Welcome to the Verge Bonero Show once again. Well, impeachment is off and running, and I, I don't say that with uh, with any joy in my heart, uh, but it's a fact of life. Uh, impeachment is happening in America. Um, it is off and running, and of mm-hmm. course, so is Trump's mouth off and running. Uh, he is doing his best to try to delegitimize the House investigations and impeachment process. Uh, he has even referred to impeachment as a dirty, filthy word. Uh, here's what he said at one of his recent rallies. And they know they can't win on election day, so they're pursuing an illegal, invalid, and unconstitutional bullshit impeachment. Jeez, oh, Pete. Uh, b- bullshit impeachment. Unconst- now, wait a minute. Unconstitutional impeachment. Um, well, Mr. President, you are, once again, and as usual, wrong. Wrong. Uh, the process is neither illegal, illegitimate, mm-hmm. or unconstitutional. Now, you can call it bullshit. Uh, I guess that'll be up to the Senate. Um, that's sort of like if you get charged with a crime. Uh, and it's not true, you might feel it's bullshit, and you'll have a chance to prove that. Uh, the House is the prosecutor, prosecutorial arm, and the Senate is the jury. So there's no such thing as an unconstitutional impeachment. The process is defined in the Constitution. Correct. So by, by definition, it can't be unconstitutional. It's uh, The House is, is pursuing it in accordance with the Constitution. In fact, uh, so it's the law of the land. And uh, you, Mr. President, are not the embodiment of the law. This is uh, something I think he gets confused about. Mm -hmm. He thinks that an attack against him, a political attack, uh, he tries to conflate that with an attack on the country or an attack on the flag. No, I'm all for the flag. I'm all for the country. I ain't all in for you, okay? And here in America, we get to do that. We we get to—and we even get even the president— is not above the law. You see, and I want to make this, I want to remind my fellow Americans, especially my Republican brothers and sisters out there, we fought a war about this, okay? We decided we didn't want to have a king. So we not only didn't we want the king of England to be our king, we decided not to put up a king here in America. And so from George Washington on, our founding fathers, we set up a system where the president is not, is specifically not above the law. Absolutely. But I think it grinds this guy. I think Trump and his lawyers are in court arguing that he is above the law. They are actually in court saying that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. I read that the other day, and I thought that is the most absurd thing. Like, he said it in one of his rallies uh, when he was campaigning, and, and the fact that they're they're trying to, like, legitimate uh, make this a legitimate statement drives me nuts. Americans, and again— we invite you to call in, 844-999-9249. I invite you to call and be part of the dialogue. I want my Republican brothers and sisters, my Republican friends, to explain to me. I understand they have every right to call it bullshit if they think it's bull, whatever you think is bull. But but to believe what they—no president in our history has argued that they could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and couldn't be charged with a crime. His lawyers are, in fact, arguing that. Now, to try to prevent, 
to prevent him from being held accountable to, to various laws. And, and, and so it's, it's unheard of. And uh, I, this, this has gone on so much, and so many claims mm-hmm. have been made. I wanted to get to the facts. Now, I think I know the facts, and I'm capable of studying the Constitution, and I do believe that the office of citizen is the highest office in this country, and each of you are citizens, and each of you have an obligation to do your homework and do your research and not just believe what a pundit might say. But I sat down. I wanted to get the facts, so I sat down with one of the leading constitutional scholars um, that was nearby, uh, uh, Professor Brian Colt, who is uh, has his degree from Yale University and happens to be uh, a professor over at Michigan State University, written a couple books on these matters. And so we sat down to talk about what uh, what is reality with the, with the Constitution? What is the deal with this impeachment? What's up and what's down? So I'd like to share some of that clip. I may interrupt the clip just to make a point, uh, but I want to share that clip, Professor Brian Colt from Michigan State, talking about impeachment, the do's and the don'ts and the legalities. I'm here with Professor Brian Colt, law professor at MSU, constitutional scholar, uh, focusing a lot on presidential power. Um, And we are going to get to the bottom of some questions that I've had that I know you've had about impeachment. Uh, Professor, people talk about impeachment. They throw the word around. Uh, A lot of folks say uh, Nixon was impeached. Um, which, of course, he wasn't, but he was on his way, perhaps, to being impeached. And then some people believe that uh, impeachment, if a president is impeached, that means he's gone. So I want to get some of the legal fine points out of the way and so we can get into to the meat, because when you talk about impeachment, these, these uh, legal uh, definitions matter. So I'll start with my plebeian understanding, uh, and uh, then you can correct me. So uh, there is an impeachment inquiry going on against President Trump right now in the House, My understanding is that the House is sort of like the investigatory or prosecutorial arm, whereas the Senate uh, is the the jury or the judge part of the the trial. Because a president, uh, I guess, can't be charged with a crime, we'll ask you that, uh, we have this impeachment process. Um, And the president can be impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors. What does that mean? Uh, Do they have to be high crime? What about low crimes? Does this mean that the president can do little petty crimes, uh, that it has to rise to this level of high? But let's start. So let's start with, I've asked you a lot of questions. Uh, What is impeachment versus conviction? Uh, Have we ever been here before? Uh, How many presidents have been impeached? How many have been convicted? So the, the process, as you said, starts in the House, and it's an impeachment is an accusation. Uh, So the House, by a simple majority can uh, pass a resolution impeaching the president or any other uh, executive branch or judicial branch officer. We've had um, a fair number of uh, impeachments, uh, but only three presidents uh, have faced serious impeachment inquiries. So the other ones were mostly what, federal judges or all, something? All the rest are judges. There was one senator who was impeached, which established that in that case that you can't impeach a senator. Uh, and there was one Secretary of War who was impeached. Um, but the, the uh, only people who have ever been convicted by the Senate are the judges. So we've had three presidents face impeachment. President Johnson, Andrew Johnson, in 1868. Uh, President Nixon was about to be impeached. The, the committee, the Judiciary Committee, had, had passed the resolution, sent it to the full House. He was going to lose in the House. He was going to lose in the Senate after the Senate trial. So he resigned. And President Clinton. Uh, who was impeached but not convicted. So impeachment is just the accusation. The House... Is it, is it akin to an indictment, it, it's, perhaps, in the... In the yeah, in the I think court? it's important to note that the uh, impeachment process is 
intentionally separate from the criminal justice process, but it does have analogies. So it's it's like an indictment. It sets him up for trial in and the Senate. The, and then the Senate is the trial, the jury, so to speak, and the yes. Senate votes. Um, and, and two-thirds are required it has to, to be two-thirds to convict. To convict. What, what if, speaking of, of course, in the abstract, what if the president, uh, a president, is convicted? If Clinton had been convicted in the Senate, uh, is the penalty uh, set forth already, like in other crimes? Is there a, is there a given penalty, or who, who determines the penalty? So the Constitution, in order to separate this from the criminal justice system, and in order to separate it from British practice, where impeachment uh, was about, if, if you were in the House of Lords, you, they wouldn't take you to the grubby regular courts. You would have a jury of your peers, uh, quite literally, in the House of Lords. That was anything that one of, the, uh, one of those folks did was subject to the impeachment process. But then the penalties were whatever the penalties for crimes were, including death. Here we said, no, this is just about safeguarding the integrity of, of the office. So all this is about, it's not about criminal penalties, it's about if you get convicted, you're removed. So the, so the only way. thing at stake is you're holding the office. Well, there's one other. Uh, so if, if you're convicted, you're removed, uh, if you're still in office at the time. Um, but there is one other possibility, and that's disqualification. After someone is convicted, the Senate, by a simple majority vote, can add the penalty of disqualification. That you could not run for office again? Not run for an, uh, an office under the United States of honor, trust, or profit. And what that means is appointed office, um, not Congress. You can still run for Congress. Um, some people say that that doesn't include the presidency. Um, there's some disagreement on that. Most people think that you could probably still run so for president. So you mean to tell me that the founders were vague even on this subject? Even on whether you could run for office again? Now, why would, they, why would there be ambiguity in something to me that should be clearly black and white? Well, it's up to the Senate. First of all, they don't have to. They have to remove. If someone's convicted, they get removed. But it's up to them to decide whether to disqualify the person in the first place. And I don't think they thought they were being vague. I think they knew exactly what Office of Honor, Trust, or Profit meant. We just haven't had this happen enough, and so we're, we're not familiar with it. But as a practical matter, they don't usually bother disqualifying anyone because if someone has been impeached and convicted by two-thirds vote in the Senate, they weren't going to get confirmed for any office anyway. But what you're saying, Professor, is that should uh, President Trump be impeached in the House and convicted in the Senate, by two-thirds. You're saying it's quite possible he could still seek uh, re-election. Well, politically, he would be in a pretty tough spot because if 20 Republican senators voted uh, to convict, along with all the Democrats, that suggests that they're, they're gauging it, that, his the, the base, that he's lost the base. So it would be hard for him to get the nomination. But again, but, but, but legally, he could. He could seek re-election. I, I would possibly. expect I would expect them to to vote to disqualify him, uh, and then if he really wants to run, if he really wants to push this legal issue, and and adopt the interpretation that some people have that the president is not uh, that it only applies to appointed office, not elected office, that he's not disqualified, he could do that. But I would I would think that um, if if we're in a situation where he in that in that setting could win, we've got bigger problems yeah, than right, how right. to He probably wouldn't, but I'm just saying, I just want to get down to what, what, what is possible first. Um, now, you mentioned uh, a vote on impeachment, and I want to get this crystal clear with the professor, because I've heard a lot of uh, naysayers 
a lot of folks on the right talking about how Nancy Pelosi isn't doing it right and Nancy Pelosi this and Nancy Pelosi that. Of course, uh, I think Nancy Pelosi has been grace under fire and has done a phenomenal job, but we're here to talk about the law. So my question for all these constitutional uh, yahoos who think they know something, my question is, does Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker of the House, is she doing it wrong? Should she have taken up a vote? Did she have the authority to stand up and announce the impeachment inquiry as Speaker of the House and, and begin in the various committees, begin the, the subpoenas and the questioning? Or should she have, in fact, taken a vote on the front end to start the process? Is Nancy Pelosi out of line? Well, I don't think she's out of line. It, it is... Um, there is precedent for proceeding based on a vote, a preliminary vote, to sort of kick things off. And there's also precedent for not. Um, impeachment usually will come through the committees, and the committees can do whatever they want. The question is, what does it mean to say that it's an official impeachment inquiry? What okay. does that add? Okay. All right. Did you hear what he just said, folks? And again, especially my Republican friends, this idea, when those Republicans went marching in, in uh -huh. their big show of force yesterday, to block the committee's work, where they were taking secret testimony. Okay, The professor just said they are allowed, uh, under the Constitution, to run the process as they see fit. So this idea in the House, again, this is the prosecutorial phase. This is mm -hmm. the investigation. So if you think again about about comparing it to a criminal case, which, you know, it's apples and oranges. Because here, the president, at this case, he's not being charged with a crime in a traditional sense. What's at stake is not his personhood. What's at stake is not will he be locked up. What's at stake is the office of the presidency. The issue that is being debated constitutionally mm -hmm. is should he maintain his office or lose his office? And so the burdens of proof are different. The way the process is run is different. The House of Representatives, under leadership from the Speaker of the House, is the investigation or prosecutorial arm. So this idea that the Republicans keep saying, he's not getting due process, it's not being done fairly, it should be done this way, that would be like you when you get arrested mm -hmm. and the prosecutor is charging you. And you say, well, Mr. Prosecutor, I know you think I did this, but allow me to bring in these witnesses. Or when the cop comes to arrest you and has an arrest warrant, and you say, but officer, I'm innocent. Let me prove to you. What is the officer likely to say? Tell it to the judge. Thank you, Andy. Boom. Tell it to the judge. So who is the judge in this case? The Senate. Mm -hmm. The jury and the trial is going to take place in the Senate. So speaking of bullshit, Mr. President, and for the rest of you defending him, don't give me your bullshit about process. Nancy Pelosi is acting as prosecutor. She's acting as chief investigator. So she is building the case, which she then will present to the Senate. It is not her job or her duty to see to it that all sides are heard. Now, they're getting some very interesting testimony. But again, this is the prosecutorial phase. So if you feel aggrieved, you president lovers, you Trump lovers, get over it, okay? It's, you're gonna get, he's going to get his day in court. That happens in the Senate. So mm -hmm. tell it to the judge. Pelosi is the prosecutor. Can you get th that through your head? 
That's what's going on here. That's what the professor just told you. That the House, under the Constitution, they're the investigatory, prosecutorial arm. They're building their best case. They're getting their evidence. And their case will be presented in something called Articles of Impeachment. Their case will be presented. And then it will go to the Senate. So stop interrupting these, these clowns. Uh, Scalise and the other clowns, uh, House Republicans, who barged in and stopped the process the other day. That ain't going to work, okay? You're buying time. They're trying to buy time for Trump. The clock is running out. The sand is running out of the hourglass, okay? Uh, you can't escape justice forever. And it's coming, and the bell is toll is tolling, and it's tolling for thee, Mr. President. I have a I have a question for you, Verge. Sure. So, uh, they were performing closed door meetings yesterday, right inside the skiff, and then they came in. They brought yep. their cell phones in. They and barged in. I'd have had the sergeant at arms arrest their closed down. Do you remember any other time where Republicans have actually said, "No, we need to perform a closed door meeting"? I'm sure it's happened many times. I remember one. Benghazi. They had their people saying. We have to do a closed door meeting first because we have to collect we the information. We got to get to the bottom of it, and there's we secret, can't be distracted. There's potentially secret information. They don't want to harm the government. And look, it's entirely legitimate, and we accepted it. And the Democrats didn't go marching in. We didn't. The, this this is a regular process. There's a reason they have a secret room because the government, this national government, does have certain things that are secret. And you get the testimony. And people are still under oath, and all of that is going to be public presented again at the right time. All of the evidence is going to be publicly presented. Right now, they're getting the evidence. And by the way, folks, Republicans are there. This idea that the Republicans marched in because they're tired of being excluded, there's a bunch of committees investigating, and, and there's like 100 representatives involved. And Republicans are, who are on the committee, who are legitimately on the committee, were already a part of the process. So again, the media doesn't necessarily report all the information. The public doesn't get it. The Republicans were not being excluded, but the, the, the Republicans that were on the appropriate committees were there hearing mm -hmm. the testimony. So it's not like it was just a bunch of Democrats. All right, let's see what else the professor right. said. And the answer is really not much. The idea is, if it's an official impeachment inquiry, whether you had a vote or not, if it's, an, it's, if it's an official inquiry, that the president doesn't have the same power to resist. That if the checks and balances, separation of powers, if the House is, is doing this, he needs to cooperate. But then the question is, well, what happens if he doesn't? What happens if he's not only not cooperating, but he's not cooperating with an impeachment inquiry? And the only remedy for that, really, is impeachment. Uh, they can add that as another article. And that was Article 3 of the Articles Against Richard Nixon that they approved was for stonewalling uh, the, the impeachment inquiry. Okay, did you hear what the professor said? That the president, Trump, is stonewalling, which is the same thing Nixon was doing. And so part of, as they, even though Nixon ended up not being impeached because he, he short-circuited it and just quit, he was going to be impeached in part for stonewalling the Congress, for not giving them information. And again, this is not optional. Okay, when the president says, we're just not going to cooperate, we're going to give them the hard I want, we're not going to cooperate. That's not an option. This is America. We have an elected president. We have a Congress. It's a co-equal branch mm -hmm. of government. It is not your option to not cooperate. You will be thrown out of office. 
It simply is not optional. When the Congress issues a subpoena for the administration to say, screw you, we're not answering. You're, that's not answering the American public. This is the process that was set up. There are three independent branches of government. Now, we hope that those branches of government will work together. We hope that our hope is that they will coll co collaborate, coordinate, you know, cooperate. The hope is. But they were designed specifically to be independent branches of government. This is a time for Americans to go back to Schoolhouse Rock, to go back to their constitution, to go back to their government 101 class and review those things. Stop being lazy. Get off the couch. Get off the metaphorical couch. Get your mind working. This is America. This is our government. Citizen is the highest office in the land, not the mm -hmm. presidency, not a congressman, mm -hmm. citizen. And so I encourage you, Democrat, Republican, and independent, to do your homework. Don't just listen to the talking heads. And I don't care what station you listen to. This is our America. This is a time for all Americans to come to the aid of their country. And I, I'm telling you, I would be saying this, if this was a Democratic president, I would have been screaming my head off. I stood up to President Obama when I disagreed with him. I stood up to President Clinton. I right. voted for them. And that gave me more of a right. Where are the Republicans holding this guy accountable? This is what kills me. And I love some of these people. Some of these people are my family members. Some of these people are my friends. So I don't say this with hatred at all. Okay? Just in case any of our listeners think that I, I do not. I certainly have disdain for this president and no respect for him. But I can't say the same about some of the Trump lovers that are I my couldn't friends. Tell. You I have for love. Him. I have love in my heart, of course, for my friends and relatives. And I, but I'm just asking them, for God's sakes, what does he have to do for you to send a cable, to send a note, to make a call to this, to the White House, and say, for God's sakes, Mr. President, I voted for you. I'm a Republican. Stop embarrassing me. Where, where are the Republicans of decency and patriots who will stand up and say, enough is enough, Mr. President? Stop with the vitriol and stop with the spewing hatred and stop talking about unconstitutional bullshit and start answering questions right. and start representing us and start being presidential. You said you would be presidential when you needed to. I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> Let's see what the professor had to say. All right. Yes. And, and so it, it doesn't, it doesn't I mean, really, it doesn't really matter. From a presidential basis, and I know you law professors, these law professors, um, I know you're big on, if I can stereotype, I, I know you guys are, because my daughter is now a lawyer, I know you guys are big on uh, precedent. Not president, precedent. Okay, past cases. Uh, so what does the Nixon impeachment process, I thought a lot of these things were settled. Like when I hear uh, uh, Pompeo or other Trump people saying, we're just not going to cooperate with the House. It's like, what are you, this is not a dictatorship. Like there's no not cooperate. When I hear the executive branch say, we're not gonna cooperate, we're not gonna give you this document, that uh, that to me is scary. Uh, to me, that's flaunting the checks and balance, the balance of power that our, the founding fathers put forth and potentially setting up a quote unquote constitutional crisis. Uh, whether or not there's an impeachment inquiry, it seems to me Congress has the authority and I, I thought the subpoena power. So I, but so I'm asking a couple questions there. Uh, one, what what are the powers of Congress? Are they in fact a co-equal? I keep hearing co-equal branch of government. Are they in fact co-equal? Uh, and again, what did we learn from Watergate, from the Nixon precedent? I thought some of this stuff was settled um, with the delivery of the tape when Nixon tried to deny and hold out 
uh, I thought that when they had to deliver that tape, which really sunk Nixon, I thought that precedentially this this matter was settled, that the, pre that the executive branch does have to turn over documents as requested uh, by Congress, a co-equal branch. Well, in the Nixon case, when he had to hand over the tapes, that wasn't to Congress. That was, there was a, a criminal case. He was not, they were not pursuing him, but they were pursuing someone else. They wanted the evidence, they'd subpoenaed it. And so that was a court ordering as part of a criminal case that he had to turn over the tapes. Congress does have a subpoena power and they could turn to the courts to enforce it. But if the president resists or any of his people resist, again, the remedy for that is impeachment. So basically what they're saying is, we don't think that you have the votes to do anything about it. Um, and if they're right that they don't have the votes to do anything about the Ukraine situation, they risk losing some of those Republican votes that are sticking with the president if he's stonewalling. So they might say, look, I don't think that there's anything with this Ukraine stuff, but I do think that you need to produce uh, evidence when Congress supports it. So, so you, you, you lose me there. So maybe I won't support Article 1, uh, about Ukraine, but I'll support Article Two. About, so let's uh, talk. Let's get back. Let's talk about two tracks, though. Let's talk about impeachment versus uh, going the route of the courts to enforce the subpoena. So, uh, like you say, the remedy to not getting the information is impeachment. But if we're trying to get the information in order to prove the the, the need to impeach, it's a circular argument. So my, I assume that the House. Will, uh, will approach this on two tracks, continuing the impeachment inquiry, continuing subpoenaing witnesses and collecting information uh, and evidence from witnesses, while at the same time, I assume they're going to be filing, going to the court. So I'm asking you now, of course, again, as a law professor uh, who studied these things in terms of precedent, if this works its way up to the federal court, uh, including to the Supreme Court, the issue of whether the president has to hand over this or that information that could be damning that would add to the impeachment process. Now I'm asking you a guess question. What do you think, based on your scholarly uh, research and knowledge, what do you think the federal courts, including this Supreme Court, uh, would say to a challenge where uh, basically uh, Trump is, as you said, stonewalling, not providing information, that Congress is saying, hey, we need this information in order to evaluate whether to impeach. Well, uh, one thing I've learned after decades of following the Supreme Court is not to try and predict what the Supreme Court is going to do. Um, I, can, I can speculate, but there's a legal doctrine called the political question doctrine. Um, if the question is just, is this legitimate, does he need to uh, respond, uh, the answer is yes, the court would say yes. But there is another possibility, which is the political question doctrine, which is anytime the Constitution says, this isn't for the courts to decide, it's for someone else to decide, the courts will say, we're not going to get involved. We're not going to say what he did was okay, but we're just not going to get involved at all. So what they would say is, yes, he does have to comply with this, but we're not going to issue a court order for that because Congress enforces this with their own impeachment power. So the courts would say, if you have a problem with this Congress, you need to take care of it yourself. And even in a case where... Maybe. Uh, they, even might say they, might. they might say But that. it seems... So in a case where you have a classic kind of a showdown on the issue of, uh, like, co-equal branch of government, on the issue of executive authority, uh, where the president is asserting executive authority, which I understand President Clinton did now and again as well. Mm -hmm. Various presidents, both parties, have asserted executive authority, executive uh, prerogative. 
So you see, what Professor Kalt is saying there is very important. Mm-hmm. He's saying, don't look for the Supreme Court to save the day, uh, if, if anybody would believe that they would. Uh, based on the makeup or whatever. But but some do. Some think that the Supreme Court ultimately, if there's a big power grab by the president uh, and he's trying to stay in office extra legally, unconstitutionally, that the court would. But what he's saying here is, you know, if there's any way to avoid the Supreme Court getting involved, they will try to avoid it. Right. Which gets back to, it really is a time for all Americans. You know, it's patriotism first and politics second. Patriotism first, partisanship second. It really is a time for all Americans to take stock. And elected officials uh, and congressmen and senators, I mean, especially, uh, to decide. See, you know, my my dad uh, came here to this country. He grew up and Mussolini was in charge in Italy. And and he still knows a little song, a little chant that they made, uh, they had to sing in sixth grade. Um, and then it would end with this, like a salute to El Duce, Hail El Duce, Mussolini. He still talks about that. And he ended up fighting in the partisan, in the underground, you know, uh, for the good guys. Um, uh, in fact, he used to get a little military pension um, from, uh, from Italy uh, for his service there in the underground. Uh, risked his life, uh, you know, lost friends on the battlefield. Wow. Um, fighting tyranny. And so this is no small thing. Uh, we in this country, we don't serve, we don't say an oath to an individual. We, we don't say, hail Trump. We say, I pledge allegiance to the flag mm-hmm. and what it stands for, what it stands for. And so uh, we're all going to be called to decide, you know, and those Congress people, they need to decide, they need to decide and act on what is right, what is right, not what's good for Trump. Not what's good for their party, what's good for America, even if they only care about their party, even if they only care about their party, you mm-hmm. know, the long term future, because Trump will come and go. I mean, eventually the Republican Party will be without Trump. What, what do they want for America? Would they want a Democratic president? These precedents, we talked with the professor called about precedent, cases, traditions being, you know, legal precedents being set. Do we really want the precedent? That the president is, in fact, above the law, that the president doesn't have to turn over information, that the president can use U.S. military aid as a tool, as a political tool to say, if you do a favor for me, wink, wink, nod, mm-hmm. nod. And there's no even not even wink, wink, nod, nod, because he tells them specifically what it is. If you'll go after my opponent, right. I might give you this money that Congress already set aside for you. Well, that's why the founders put the emolument clause in there in the so, first place. So, I, I, you know, I just think it's a time, I mean, it's it's clear as day. It's in black and white. The president's not denying it. His he's We have the transcript. It's close to a transcript. He hasn't said there's anything wrong with the transcript. He calls it a perfect conversation. And, uh, and uh, then Mick Mulvaney came out as chief of staff mm-hmm. and acting budget director, or acting chief of staff and budget director. I can't figure out which or if he's acting in both, <laughs> but it's hard to keep up. But uh, he as much said, yes, it was, it was a favor. It was one tit for tat, one for another. So these precedents, these are going to be with us, my friends. My friends, Democrat and Republican, these we got to decide what we what we want as a nation, what we stand for as a nation. And, you know, we can debate about 
whether it makes sense what the president is doing in this policy or that policy, whether we agree with the wall, whether we agree with pulling out of uh, uh, of Syria and, and abandoning the Turks. These things we can debate about, but I think, uh, and there's you know there may be arguments on both sides, but when it comes to the Constitution and the rule of law, that's what's at stake here. The president, President Trump, is really trying to reinvent government to be the government of Trump, to be Trump Inc. Mm-hmm. That's the real issue. He wants people that are loyal to him in a way that I hadn't planned to talk about it, but in a way that dictators, in a way that my father, Julio, had to take an oath to El Duce and say a little thing and, and, and stand a certain way. I think that's the America that Trump envisions. One where the president is above the law, where it's a government of men, not of law. We are a government of law, not of man. A government of law. And if and when we stop to stand for law, mm-hmm. anything could happen. Look, I don't want a democratic dictator either. No. I don't want a democratic president that thinks he's not accountable. And I, and I don't want a Republican president. I want a law. I want a fair election, okay? And we've, I've won some and lost some personally. You know, I've been involved in winning campaigns and losing campaigns. Fine, that's the American way. Nobody gets killed. You know, you go out, you fight hard, and you live to fight another day. Mm-hmm. This is new. This concept, this president, the precedents that he is trying. And I just asked my Republican friends, and especially those in Congress, to think about the precedent that they are setting. And, and how will they feel when Trump is gone and they have eviscerated decades, if not centuries, of precedent? and tradition and law and convention. I get that you wanted somebody to shake things up, to drain the swamp. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> that is so hilarious. The notion of him draining the swamp, it makes me laugh out loud. I'm sorry, I didn't. it was just involuntary. When I think him draining the swamp, he is the ultimate swamp creature. Yeah, you know, he thought that he was a stupid for... statement when he first heard that, and then he's like, oh, the people like it. Yeah. I guess I'll keep saying oh, absolutely. this. Absolutely. I mean, he's the P.T. Barnum. Care. I mean, I don't want yeah. to insult P.T. Barnum. No, but, but... He's, he's a showman. Yeah. That's what he is. Totally, totally. All right, let's see what the professor All has right. to say. To uh, keep certain things secret. Uh, I mean, if ever the Supreme Court, you'd think, would be called on to actually settle something, it would be when you have a big blowout fight, uh, a big throwdown between uh, a president and, and Congress. But that's precisely when, under the political question doctrine, they won't. They'll say, work it out, to, you know, your kids are fighting, just work it out between yourselves. Um, that's when they when they say it. If they say we're not getting involved, they'll say it's because of the political question doctrine. If they want to get involved, they'll say, well, you know, not 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 so much of a problem. Um, I, I think it's it's also important. So they could dodge it. They could. Um, well, uh, it's. And it's, what would you say? Is it fifty fifty? If the if the question was, the president won't hand over this info. We need this info to determine an impeachment. The president won't give it to us. Supreme Court order him to give it to us. Yeah, I, I have I have no idea what they would do. There's never been a case like it. So fifty fifty, um, would you say odds? I, I would I would say more likely than not that they would say it's a pol- political question. But so, I don't so know. They would. Here's a, here's an important uh, little angle on this though. Um, ordinarily, uh, in, in a criminal case, you can't be forced to testify against yourself. So if they're trying to get evidence from you and you don't want to provide evidence, you take the fifth. Take the fifth. You don't have to provide it. But in this case, it's not a criminal penalty. The only thing at stake is your office. So 
uh, in a criminal case, they can't say, well, you didn't testify. I'm going to infer from the fact that you don't want to testify that you're guilty, that you're hiding something. You can't do that. But you in can an impeachment in this case, Absolutely. They can say, look, we've got some evidence. You have a chance to disprove it. If you're not going to testify, if you're not going to provide the documents, we have to we're going to assume the worst. And, and they can do that. There's nothing and to stop them and from it, You've that. made a very good point about that, and that's something people need to remember, because I keep hearing the Republicans say these different things like this is a criminal case. I keep hearing them say, well, the president, he should have a chance to call witnesses and blah, blah, blah. Um, this is the prosecution phase, okay? This is the indictment phase. This is the investigation phase. The trial's in the Senate, right. so hold off. Spare me. Uh, these people. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, and so, uh, and I want to ask you this. I, I, I said this in the intro. Uh, we, definitions matter. Okay, I'm sorry if we're going overtime, but these things, we got to get to the bottom of it. Uh, high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, what does this mean? Now, come on. You're a law professor. For God's sakes, I want some answers here. Um, so the, the House is trying to put this together. Uh, they're going to have articles of impeachment. Um, what and I understand it's not exactly a legal process, it's a political process, because we're trying to determine should he stay in office or not. But uh, he can only be impeached having if he's found guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors, right? So how are high crimes and misdemeanors different from low, regular high crimes and misdemeanors? Or are they? So the first thing that's important to get out there is, despite the name high crimes or misdemeanors, they don't have to be crimes. In fact, um, even when they are crimes, they don't, when they impeach people for them, judges or, or presidents, they don't say he committed this violation of the criminal code. They will say what, what he did. He accepted a bribe or something like that. But the point is um, the high crime, high means public, like high treason. High crime means it's an offense against the public. So public misconduct. So if Okay, this is crucial. Did you hear this? For all you armchair law professors out there, and I say that tongue-in-cheek because at this point, most all Americans are being called to kind of put your legal hat on and try to understand impeachment. The professor, Professor Call, just said something very important. Mm -hmm. High crimes and misdemeanors. So many people have misunderstood this and, and uh, made accusations and statements and built our, when they have no freaking clue what they're talking about. High crimes and misdemeanors. What Professor Colt just said is that in, in 16th century language, what the Founding Fathers were actually talking about in terms of high crimes and misdemeanors. High meaning public, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. high. High <laughs> and not high in terms of high versus low. High meaning high crimes, public right. crimes. In other words, the kind of crimes that Trump commits. Like, hey, China, investigate my opponent. Okay? By definition, almost. Some would say Trump was high when he made, when he made well, that, that claim. that could be. He could be high and high. High, <laughs> public and high. Uh, publicly high. Uh, but this is very important because, again, if we're going to have this debate, and I mm -hmm. welcome the debate, and, again, more Americans should have it, Get educated. Know what you're talking about. Don't just spew this crap. So, uh, Professor Colt, who is, again, an expert, a constitutional scholar, is saying that high crime and misdemeanor is not 
high in the sense of versus low, and it's not even a crime. It doesn't have to, in fact, be in the criminal code. Right. So these folks that talk about, oh, he didn't break any law, that's neither here nor there. And Lindsey Graham was on the floor of the Senate during the Clinton impeachment saying it didn't have to be anything against the law. And he was right then, and it's a right now. The issue is, do we feel that the it's an impropriety, that it's an inappropriate act? Do we feel that it rises to the level of impeachment? Do we feel that we want our president operating this way or not? And so the articles of impeachment will spell out the conduct. They will spell out, this is what we think he did wrong. And it doesn't matter if it fits neatly into this or that legal prism or legal uh, criminal code. The issue is, do we want a president who withholds, in this case, we know that one of the articles of impeachment will be that he withheld money, duly appropriated, for Ukraine, and that he sat on it and wanted to trade it for a personal political favor. Okay? It was a lot of money. It was vital to Ukraine, to their defense against Russia, Mm -hmm. which is, in fact, sadly, one of our enemies. And he was willing to put Ukraine lives at stake, and Ukrainians were and are losing their lives trying to hold on to their democracy against Russia. Putin, who is a KGB SOB, let me be clear, okay? These people are fighting for their lives on the front lines, and Trump is playing games with their funding for these, uh, what do you call bazookas? That's not the name. These these shoulder-mounted missile launchers that will stop Russian tanks. They're waiting for this life-saving armament that, that the Congress has appropriated, and he's holding it up to see if he can get them to stick it to Joe Biden and his son. That's the reality. And so the question is, will the Republicans stand up and join the Democrats and say, this is conduct unbecoming. This is conduct we cannot countenance. This is conduct in America that we will not abide. Is there anything that you Republicans will stand up against? Or can this president, in fact, shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and you'll look the other way? That's the question in America. That's why I'm asking you to put patriotism ahead of partisanship. We would do the same. We would never allow a Democrat to get away with this. We would never allow it. And that's what really pisses me off. This idea that there's some loyalty test. Those Republicans, Scalise and those other clowns marching in and trying to stop the process. Spare me. That is despicable. That is un-American. You took an oath. Mm-hmm. You congressmen took an oath to the United States Constitution, the same one I took an oath to many times as a commissioner, as a state representative, as a mayor. I took that oath and it meant something. What does it mean to you to be an American? Are you taking the pledge to your leader, Trump, or did you pledge the flag of these United States? Does that mean anything to you? That's what's at stake. I guess we should hear from Professor Kalt. I guess so. If the president robs a liquor store, even if even if he murders a couple of people, that's not that's not a high crime as high crime. Now, a murder, they might make an exception, right? They're going to say. <laughs> Okay, uh, it has to be public or it has to be really bad. So Trump can't just shoot somebody on Madison Avenue. Well, like he said um, it, it it would it would uh, probably have some people saying, 
well, technically this isn't a public offense, but realistically I think we can assume, and, and most people who, who write books about these things, about what high crimes and misdemeanors mean, will concede the point that even though it means public misconduct, you'd throw in okay. serious private So look, too. this is revolutionary, what he just said, okay, for, for average Joes like myself. For us non-lawyers, what he just said is absolutely crucial. Uh, that high crime and misdemeanor is a public, doing a crime in a public way. And so uh, that... It doesn't know, have to be a crime. But, but it doesn't have to be a crime. Misdemeanor, even. when they wrote that, misdemeanor didn't mean what we take it to mean, like a minor crime. It, it meant... Uh, An offense. Right. Like, uh -huh. like, forgive us our trespasses. Well, it doesn't mean technically the legal a definition of A public trespass. A public offense. This is, this is revolutionary to the average person, to me. Because, yes, we've heard that so many times, and yet we don't know what it means. And so when the president calls out, hey, Russia, if you're listening, hey, China, uh, do this to the Bidens, that could be a high crime. Absolutely. Well, there are two, there are two things to think about here. One is we know it, 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 every time there's an impeachment case, the defense will say it has to be a crime. And the, the, uh, the people in favor of impeachment will say, no, it doesn't. And they'll cite all the precedents. Centuries of Anglo-American well, practice. Graham, Lindsey Graham, they've got him taped on the floor of the Senate during the Clinton impeachment saying it doesn't have to be a crime. And he was right. And now if it is a crime, that certainly means something. But there are all these presidential powers. What if the president abuses his pardon power? What if the president negotiates a, a perfidious treaty where he's, he's betraying the country? What if... There's an emoluments clause violation. None of these things are crimes, uh, but all of them are things that when they were framing the Constitution, when they were debating the Constitution, they said the remedy, if the president abuses this power, is impeachment, even so though it's they're really, not crimes. So this is why Nancy Pelosi keeps talking about abuse of power, presidential Absolutely. abuse of power, because it does not have to be a crime as we regularly define it. Right. And, and, and it Nixon, is an offense. Would it, would it be fair to say it's it, it's an offense against the republic, an offense against, against the public the trust? Absolutely. And and in Nixon's case, the things that he did were crimes, but the articles of impeachment charge him with violating his oath, and violating his constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. So, so they they make that distinction. Now, what that means is. The, the, the bar for being a high crime or misdemeanor is, is pretty low. If it means public misconduct, you can make a case for pretty much every president having done something that, that clears that bar. So here's what's a high crime or misdemeanor. Then here's... So you hear what Professor Colt is saying there is, you know, there's a difference between a president being incompetent or malfeasant, mm -hmm. uh, you know, making mistakes, being stupid. Uh, high crime and misdemeanor you know, is a high bar. And I want to say, you know, to my friends, again, uh, I, I've never called for the impeachment uh, of a president in my lifetime. I've been involved in politics. I've had, you know, there have been presidents I liked, presidents I didn't like, governors I liked, governors I didn't. I've never called for impeachment. Uh, this president, yes, he's, I, he's worthy of impeachment. It's sad, but it's a duty. I do yeah. it as a duty. I don't do it as a partisan. I don't do it as a pa partisan duty. It's a patriotic duty. It, I do it because the man is out of control. The yeah. man believes he's above the law. Well, I took those classes seriously, mm -hmm. Andy. When I when I learned about you know uh, the Revolutionary War and the taxation without representation and the Tea Party, all those things that we learned 
in grade school. And then we learned a little more in high school. And then maybe we learned a little more in college about it, about these uh, rights, the Declaration of Independence, you know, the liberties that we enjoy in this country. And then learning about what my father went through, what so many others have been through, those that fled dictatorial regimes and come to this country and enjoy the liberty that we espouse, that we celebrate in this country. And to have a president who says, I alone can do it. I alone am the fixer. I alone am the savior. I mean, the language that he used was was scary from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was worried about it because, when, it, frankly, as a candidate, when he said, I alone can do it. Now, I have run for office, including governor. Never in any of my speeches would you ever find me saying, I alone can. In fact, in the history of presidential politics, I don't, it's certainly in my lifetime, but I think, I don't think you would ever find even FDR, who was during the most dire times, even mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln. I don't think they ever had the temerity, the gall, the ego to say, I alone can fix it. Who would say such a thing? When he said that, I was so worried about the narcissism that, that you know, it's a, it's a psychological problem at that level. And when you believe that you alone, you singularly can fix it, then you can, the problem, Andy, is at that point, you can justify in your own mind and perhaps in the minds of others, mm-hmm. almost anything to stay in power. The important thing that you said is the word I, because... I makes creates division and makes it divisive. And we know that Nancy Pelosi did not go into this going, I want to create more division. Well, I want to make this divisive. Well, it's one thing to say, I have a great I I have some great ideas. Sure. I, I think I can bring some leadership. But when you add the alone, I alone can fix it. That says I am unique, I am special, I alone. And again, I now I can justify almost anything because in order to save the republic, yeah, I have to be here. And the thing is, as pivotal as pivotal as Abraham Lincoln was, he never said, he never had the gall. He looked to God, he looked to the Lord for power and, and, and support, you know, and strength and guidance. But he never said, I, Abraham Lincoln, alone can do this. So the guy, we're going to have to invite people to watch the rest of that video mm-hmm. clip um, uh, online. Uh, where can they watch it? Andy? Uh, they they can watch. They'll definitely be able to watch it. We're going to post it up on Facebook after this, uh, and uh, they'll be able to find it there after the show. And on my uh, uh, show, the uh, theverdshow.com. Correct. Uh, they can watch it there. Uh, it's fascinating. It's important, you know, that you gird yourself for battle. And I say this, frankly, whether you're Democrat, Republican, or independent, I encourage you, uh, this professor, Professor Kalt, who has a degree from Yale and teaches at Michigan State University, um, I don't, frankly, I went into the interview not knowing if he's a Democrat or Republican, and I still don't know if he's a Democrat or Republican. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if he's an independent. Um, But I went into the interview, uh, he's just an expert, okay? So he's giving you the law. Mm -hmm. So I encourage folks to get nonpartisan, to get independent expert advice like this, expert guidance, and get the law. Because, again, citizen is the highest office um, in this country. And I encourage people to get, arm yourself, arm yourself with the facts, okay? Now, you can watch Fox or you can watch MSNBC. You can listen to Rush, whoever you want to listen to. But first, 
arm yourself with the facts. Do not assume that Rush or anybody else is giving you the facts. Okay, get the facts. Here I'm bringing you a nonpartisan, non-aligned expert. Okay, but go ahead and get your own expert. If you don't like my expert, just make sure that there you're getting an independent voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to I want to show one more clip. Uh, not yet, but uh, you know I want to just say Trump. You know President Trump. I already talked about how President Trump. You know his his behavior in the campaign, uh, and by saying I alone, you know was kind of a cue of what was coming. But he also he warned us again early this year uh, by his words and by his actions. Donald Trump warned us. He kind of threatened us. That if, if the House of Representatives dared to try to impeach His Royal Highness, that it would be bad. Mm-hmm. It would be bad news for the country. And these are mob boss tactics, by the way. You know, Paul, you mess with me, the whole thing could come tumbling down. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? I mean, you're the president. Yeah, it's an important job, but, you know, presidents come and go. Yeah. Okay, you don't do the job, you're out. Uh, but not with Trump. No, he issued a threat. Just listen to his thinly veiled threat during the State of the Union earlier this year. If there is going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. I got news for you, Mr. President. That's exactly how it works. Verge, Verge, you don't understand. It doesn't work that way, okay? <laughs> I alone have the power to fix it and make sandwiches, okay? Exactly. So, so we're dealing with kind of a warped sense of, um, of the Constitution, of the system that this man has. The, uh, it, it really... Uh, reminds me of some of these, uh, you know, dictators right. around the world who may go in under a democratic process. This has happened in a number of countries, including, of course, Russia now right. under under Putin. For a while, he played the game like it was him and Medvedev. Uh, I think I'm saying it right. I don't know that. But there, for a while, there was that Medvedev. If I say it fast enough, nobody knows if I'm saying exactly. it right. Medvedev. Medvedev. Uh, he was there for a while. Yes. <laughs> Jim Jeff, no. Um, <laughs> Jim Jeff. Yes. Medvedev. Uh, and, and, you know, Medvedev was president, and then he turned to prime minister, and then he was prime minister, and they, and they switched offices. But yeah. the reality is Putin, you know, after Yeltsin, uh, we tried to help Russia democratize, and now all that's just fallen away. The, even the veneer of democracy in Russia has just fallen away. It is Putin. It's Putinville. He's a KGB SOB. And uh, I think, of course, I think, you know, where there's Russian smoke, there's fire, and there's a lot of Russian smoke. Um, there's a, a, clearly a Putin-Trump link. But, but uh, regardless, any of these dictators, China, he's, admi- he's admired because the guy's called president for life. You know, Trump jokes about it. Uh, you know, in every joke, there's an element of truth. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what, part of what makes it funny. Uh, in every joke, there's an element of truth. And when, when he constantly refers to president for life and this sort of thing, uh, in his own head, I believe that, and he's shown, uh, disdain for our democratic principles and our democratic uh, uh, protocols. He resents Nancy Pelosi, not just the person, the office. He resents the notion of having to, I think he resents it more because she's a woman, but he resents the idea that he should have to answer, that he should be have to held, that he should be held accountable. And when he says it just doesn't work that way, well, Mr. President, your mob boss tactics, trying to strong arm the Congress, 
into leaving you alone, threatening. And uh, by the way, you know, in America, no one is above the law. At the heart of it, that's what this is, is about. That's what this impeachment is about. You right. are not above the law. And that's what those congressmen and that's what the senators uh, and I'm starting to see cracks uh, with with, uh, of course, the senator from Utah. Um, uh I'm trying to think of his famous what song. Was his name? Uh, we know who we're talking about because he's got a, he's got a, a, a Mitt Romney, mm-hmm. uh, former. Uh, his father was governor of Michigan, of course. Here, uh, you know, you're starting to see some cracks uh, with people that are true patriots. That uh, the president broke the law. He's as much as admitted it, and and he needs to be held accountable. You know, and he, he if he's not held accountable, you know, again, what is the precedent? that you're setting. This is a time when you got to really do the right thing. And so when people say, well, the impeachment is a waste of time because the Senate will never convict, you know, they could have said the same thing about Nixon and just ignored his lawlessness. Now, would it have been a, the end of this country if, if, if Nixon had served out his term? Would it have destroyed the United States? Not immediately. Not immediately. But I just ask my fellow Americans to think about this. What it would have, it, it begins the erosion of the principles that we stand for. Now, the erosion has started because Trump is running a lawless administration. But if we ignore it, if all those who took oaths to the Constitution of the United States, again, they didn't take a personal uh, high, high Trump, you know, hail Trump. They didn't take a personal oath. Now, I think some of them secretly have an oath to Trump. Mm. But the oath that they swore to was to the United States Constitution. And when we forget that and we allow, we become a government of men and not of laws. When the Nixon thing was moving forward, he resigned because senators went to him. Goldwater went to him and said, Mr. President, I don't have, we don't have the votes. The votes are there to convict you. Mr. President, you will be convicted. You will be impeached and you will be convicted. And so he decided he wasn't going to stick around. He got out. And those guys got to grow some backbone and women in the Senate and recognize that this country is worth standing up for, that the oath they took to the Constitution is worth standing up for. This is the time for all patriots to come to the aid of their country. Well said, Verge. If you guys want to see more of Verge, make sure you check out every single Thursday at nrmstreamcast.com or download the app for your Amazon Fire, Roku, Apple TV, Android TV, or phones. We'll see you next week on The Verge Monero Show.